Hello, it's Wednesday 13th of July. I'm Hannah Pearson. On today's show, Gary Bauman and I will be discussing the outlook for airports, aviation and airlines in Cambodia with our special guest, Stephen King, Chief Commercial Officer at Cambodia Airports. So let's get started. This is the Southeast Asia Travel Show. Hello wherever you are in the world and thanks for listening in. So today we're jetting off to Cambodia, which has been at the forefront in Southeast Asia of eliminating COVID-19 restrictions for visitors in recent months. Cambodia's three international airports handled 11.6 million passengers in 2019, and the country is eager to revive its airline sector to support a travel and tourism recovery. So, to discuss the challenges and opportunities ahead, we're delighted to welcome to the show Stephen King, who is Chief Commercial Officer at Cambodia Airports, whose shareholders are France's Vinci Airports, who's 70%, and Mohiba Masteron Cambodia, 30%, a Malaysian-Cambodian joint venture. So, Stephen, thanks so much for coming on to the show. How are you doing today? And how's Phnom Penh? Morning. Uh, good to good to speak to you both. Yeah, all, all's good here. Heading into the rainy season, I guess, uh, as it as it gets grey, but that doesn't seem to be stopping passengers uh, coming in and out of the airport pretty frequently now. So before we deep dive into Cambodia, Stephen, let's let's talk a bit about you. What led you to Cambodia? So you studied in the UK and France, and was a career in the aviation sector something that interested you at that time? I think I have to own up to being a bit of a bit of an av geek. And ever since sort of uh, very, very young, I've, I've always wanted to be in travel and, and I really, I've loved planes from very early on. I was lucky that my parents and some of my grandparents uh, lived in several different parts of the world. So up to the age of 11, I think we'd lived on sort of two or three continents and uh, a couple of countries, uh, which was a great, great opening to, uh, to, to travel. And yeah, it's somewhere where I've wanted to have my, my career ever, ever since. So let's talk a little bit about that career, Stephen, because it's a pretty interesting resume that you have. You spent almost 12 years at Virgin Atlantic and you became head of Asia Pacific. So tell us a bit more about that role and where were you based in the region? Uh, yeah, I was very lucky to be able to, to join Virgin as, a, as an analyst, uh, like you say, and then uh, go through various different roles all across, all across the business. And, and a really interesting time, I guess, for aviation, particularly in Europe in those, in those earlier days where it was uh, coming off the back of, of September 11th and then, then the global financial crisis obviously hitting in sort of uh, 2008-9. But the last five years of that, of that time at, at Virgin, um, I was based, based over, over in this part of the world in India for three years and then uh, Hong Kong for a, a couple of years looking after looking after sort of Virgin Atlantic's interests over over in the region so um, we had direct uh, online flights and offline flights uh, so lots of working with the partners in um, selling the UK and the and the wider network from even though the online flights were into Hong Kong uh, and Shanghai uh, lots of work with Japan and with the Philippines Australia and New Zealand to really be dri- dri- driving passengers through the uh, through the regional networks into into the hub and onto the sort of mainline mainline flights. So, thoroughly enjoyed working with such an interesting uh, in such a, an interesting region, and was hoping for for chances to come back at a, at a later date. Yeah, I mean, and you said there, so you were you were living both in India and in Hong Kong. So the contrast between the two must have been quite interesting as well when you were transitioning. 
I thoroughly enjoyed thoroughly enjoyed India. It's a it's a it's a fascinating place. There's always uh, so much so much going on. People are, are some of the the, the friendliest uh, you'll meet. Amazing food, obviously, and uh, and such a market that I mean, I first moved there about ten years ago, and just even going going back sort of well just before COVID, uh, how much how much the the country is changing and and really how much the aviation industry has changed is is really interesting interesting to see and sort of post-covid as well we're seeing new airlines uh, emerge in india some of this obviously a big change with air india and the, the tata group uh acquiring a, a acquiring acquiring that airline i think i think there's lots of interesting things to, to happen with india and hopefully sort of for cambodia um it's one of the biggest markets that's, that's sort of not directly connected, so uh, very much on our radar. Yeah, that sounds interesting, Stephen. And we've been talking about India a lot in recent months and actually over recent years, particularly with the absence of Chinese travels. But the Indian market was growing, as you said, it was developing fast uh, before the pandemic, and it's now, you know, on everybody's agenda right now. So let's let's move away from India. And let's go back to the UK because you, your next move was to Gatwick Airport in the UK where you worked for five years before and during the early days of the pandemic. Tell us a bit about that role and what you were doing there. Uh, so Gatwick or London Gatwick is part of the, pre- the, well, the biggest aviation market in the world. You've got sort of five or six airports all around London, all competing, all owned by different, uh, different shareholders and all trying to, trying to get the, the best traffic and the, the, their share of, uh, of what London, London can generate. Gatwick is a uh, was and I think still is the busiest single runway airport in the world as well. So it's really about about efficiency. So a big part of my role there was driving driving traffic, driving as many passengers as as we could by making efficient use of of, of that runway. So long haul was was obviously a, a massive focus there. So I did find myself back in uh, my favorite continent uh, over in Asia quite a lot, speaking, uh, speaking to airlines in, uh, well, all across the region about opportunities to, to fly into Gatwick and to, um, to really establish, establish services that, that weren't necessarily um, there, be, there before. And I think we had quite a lot of, uh, quite a lot of success. We had pre-COVID, we had 60 long haul routes by, uh, by then and yeah, about 40, 47 million, million passengers. Obviously, COVID uh, and the pandemic then hit, and I remember in those in those early days where, first of all, it was China, and many sources, including the Economist, I I remember distinctly, were saying there's only a very small chance this this uh, could become a global pandemic. So there, we were really working closely with the Chinese airlines to sort of go, how can we support you through what we all hoped would be just a small blip of a pause in traffic and then then things would recover and then obviously very rapidly they didn't and the the whole sort of global travel system ground to a very near halt i think what was really interesting for for gatwick in it which is very useful for me moving to asia is i was able to be at gatwick for lots of the the first part of the recovery particularly because europe took the decision to sort of open borders and remove restrictions earlier on than the many parts of the world. So we were able to see what impact that had, uh, particularly in those early days and how we could work with, with sort of airline partners and industry partners um, to, to, bring, to bring traffic back and to, to get people flying. And also, I guess uh, another point that was really 
useful was understanding how different restrictions, the impact that they had on on travel, uh, and maybe bring some of those some of those lessons here to to understand if you've still got quarantine, actually, you know, how much travel will emerge before you remove quarantine and remove test testing and the the impact of the different different levels of tests. That's super interesting. So it's almost like you've come from the future <laughs> to Southeast Asia to be able to apply those lessons. <laughs> so you relocated to Phnom Penh as CCO for Cambodia Airports in November 2021, which was probably quite an interesting time to arrive. What prompted taking up that role at, at the end of last year? You mentioned that uh, Cambodia Airports is Vinci Airports with the biggest shareholder. Uh, Gatwick Airport, where I was in the UK, also is now owned by uh, Vinci Airport. So it was a great opportunity for me to to move within the group to part of the world that's probably my my favourite part of the world. So regrettably, I hadn't been to Cambodia before, but I had a trip planned just before COVID COVID happened. Uh, then it was uh, yeah, there was an opportunity opportunity to move over. I asked everybody I could meet. Uh, what do you think of Cambodia? What do you know about Cambodia? And everybody said they're the nice. The Cambodians are the nicest people that you'll uh, you'll meet anywhere in the world. It was strange how consistent that piece of feedback was, and it's also turned out to turned out to be true. Uh, thoroughly enjoying enjoying working here. The timing was. Uh, I think I've been pretty lucky with timing because just the week before uh, we arrived uh, quarantine was reduced from bis- for business travelers down to 3 days which was uh, which was great i think the biggest complexity about arriving is uh, i'm married but we, we don't have children but we do have two dogs and the dogs didn't need to go into quarantine but we as humans did so uh, trying to get the logistics of all of that working out was uh, was was quite quite interesting but yeah uh able to to come in three days quarantine and then actually two weeks later the quarantine was removed completely and i think cambodia was the first country to uh take that away which we straight away started seeing uh, seeing an impact on so tell us a bit more about the the scope of the role that you inherited stephen because one of the things that was discussed about cambodia before the pandemic was the challenge of attracting direct flights from countries beyond asean what kind of progress are you making on that, and what sort of challenges do you see up ahead? Yeah, so the um, a big part of uh, sort of any commercial role within within an airport is really, I guess, responsible for anything revenue generating. But the the biggest and most important part of that is um, driving passengers. Even though we've got great shops and uh, great restaurants, if we haven't got passengers that uh, that want to use them, there's there's not much point. Um, the Cambodian market has uh, evolved sort of quite quickly in, in different directions uh, pre, pre-pandemic. We obviously had Emirates and Qatar offering intercontinental services to their, their hubs in the Middle East. We've also got uh, really through Singapore, Bangkok and Seoul were the other big markets feeding into, into international. Japan seemed to be a, uh, a growing market uh, in the pre, pre-COVID world, but China was single biggest market pre pre covid for for cambodia obviously that market's closed but we are seeing seeing many other markets build up and and recover but actually singapore and seoul are pretty much at 2019 levels for phnom penh now um so we've got we've got some good recovery um there lots of the rest of the region are are in the sort of 70s and 80% of 2019 levels um again that's that's sort of focused on phnom penh we are in active dialogue with with airlines from further afield 
I think also, though, we have to be realistic that that um, there is a lack of crew or a lack of aircraft in, in many airlines around the world. So it's uh, not necessarily going to be for this year that we get uh, some some more intercontinental outside of perhaps the Middle Eastern and uh, the big connectors coming into Cambodia. But I'm sure as we go through in the next year or two, we'll we'll start to see uh, some of the, some of those big markets start to be served directly. And it's fantastic that things are, are picking up again. Um, so for the, for Singapore and Seoul, is it mainly transit passengers then? Are they are they using Singapore and Seoul as transit hubs, or are they just directly flying from Singapore and South Korea? Transit is a is a big part of of those markets. Singapore, what we're tending to see is Singapore is uh, feeding from Australasia and uh, um, uh, and Europe, and Seoul is generally most of most US traffic is coming in through Seoul. This is evolving now. Bangkok Airways have increased to three flights a day feeding into Bangkok. Then that opens up all of their interline partners, and it means that you've got sort of short connections from most long haul, so a couple of hours maximum uh, transit in in Bangkok. So there's, it means that there's much more variety coming in. However, we've also seen a lot of point-to-point traffic. I think we've got 86 flights a week now into uh, into Bangkok, and not all of them offer connecting possibilities. And, and they're seeing, I think, sort of load factors are above 75%. So, so there is definitely a point-to-point market that's uh, that's that's there as people want to travel in and out of in and out of Cambodia. Interesting comments there, Stephen, about the, the different markets across the region. Let's, I just want to prompt you a little bit more about the Chinese market, because you mentioned at the moment that you know, you're seeing recovering levels into, into Phnom Penh. But I'm, I'm guessing that before the pandemic, Chinese visitors came into probably all three of your airports, so Phnom Penh, Siam Reap, and also Sihanoukville in particular. Can you just talk us a little bit about what, what's happening in terms of the market as it was before and, and what you would look for in the future? Yeah, it's um, you sort of hit the nail on the head. We've we've got three in different airports, and um, and, and each has each has their own sort of story um, that reflects the type of market that, that that they're serving. So Phnom Penh has come back come back strongly as that that main gateway into into Cambodia, serving uh, visiting friends and relatives, tourists, uh, as well as as well as a, a decent volume of, of business travel. I think when we go up to Sian Rep, we had a really diverse mix of passengers from really around the region. Uh, China was a big part of that. South Korea was a big part, but obviously our, our sort of ASEAN neighbors as well. For Cambodia, testing and travel really got removed. Uh, again, one of the first in the region, thanks to the really strong vaccination rates in, in the middle of March. And unfortunately, uh, Sian Rep's tourist season, high season, is sort of ends around March or is perceived to end around March, which I think in the long term is something that should be, we, we've really got to work to, to make that season much, much more year round because it's still very pleasant to be up there in April, in May, in, in, in June. I think I was last there and it, it's uh, very sunny, but you might just get a storm in the evening. But anyway, that, that meant that uh, there's only been a few airlines come back into, uh, into Sian Rep for the last couple of months, but we've got really good growth coming coming through now. So I think July will probably be about seventy five percent up on June, and then I expect a further fifty percent growth as we get into August. And I'm I'm expecting that to sort of continue as we go into the or the beginning of the really sort of traditionally high season, which will be in November, uh, where expecting some 
decent volumes uh, coming back into Sanrip, which I know the whole industry up there really needs really needs to see. For any listeners, it's a brilliant time to, to go and see the temples. There's a whole new road infrastructure that's made it really easy to get around. And there are just so so many fewer people that you can you can see the the, the temples pretty much on your own if you if you want. I was in Angkor Wat uh, at Christmas, uh, and you literally we were when once the guide stopped talking, you could you could hear a pin drop, and we were in the uh, sort of in the middle of the in the middle of the temple. So do head up there, head up there now. And there's a lot more to do as as well around around. There's been a lot of investment during COVID. But you asked about the other other markets. Um, Sianoukville was dominated by China. China accounted for. 80% or so of, of, of passengers. And those those passengers aren't yet coming back because China's uh, capacity is, is still controlled. We're really pleased that we now have domestic flights operating between uh, Sianoukville and Sianrip. And we've also got flights to, to Ho Chi Minh. And, and I'm in pretty active dialogue with with some other carriers to to reopen Sianoukville, maybe more in a more diverse mix of destinations than, uh, than purely China. China accounted for about about forty percent of our traffic across all three airports in in twenty nineteen, and we're really trying to, to trying to bring that back now, and but also showcase other destinations um, and what else Cambodia has to offer. Sianoukville had a bit of a reputation as a uh, as a casino town. Again, there's been a massive investment in road infrastructure, so we've got uh, it's really easy to get around now. The whole town has been has been really tidied up. A number of casinos there, wide range of hotel stock. It's got great access to the islands, and uh, I think the islands that that are off there give give most of Southeast Asia a, a run for the money. And it's only a forty five minute speedboat journey to to land and be dropped straight on the beach. So there's definitely some real opportunities uh, for that for that market to continue to grow with with international travellers. And there's some great there's some great hotel stock and and activities to do around Sianoukville. So I think what we'll start to see in the future is China will still be a huge market for Sianoukville, but uh, we'll see more diversity as well and um, and people coming for diff for different offerings too. That's interesting. So of course you know it makes sense, but I hadn't really thought about it either. It, the airports are of course also very keen to diversify away from just having one single source market um, relying on um, you know like China. You mentioned just now um, domestic flights and domestic flights were starting back between say and Nukeville. Pre-pandemic what what was the kind of split between domestic and, and international flights in Cambodia? Is there a big domestic aviation scene there? So pre-COVID domestic accounted for about six percent of of all of our our passengers and now it's probably around two percent most of domestic travel tends to be linked into into international so it's international travelers generally moving or moving around the country it's great that our free airports are are now all all connected and we're actually even seeing an increase in flights between Phnom Penh and Sian Rip uh, particularly uh, where where passengers are choosing to take a plane in and get there in sort of 45 minutes. You spoke there, Stephen, quite interestingly about the, the opportunities for tourism and, you know, really promoting Cambodia as, as more than just what it has been promoted for before. You know, there, there's so many opportunities across the country. But also, Cambodia has these three international gateways. There's always been a lot of talk about having more airports. I think there's a privately funded airport being built in the south. I've been reading about Batambang. Does the country need more international gateways? 
I think that's probably a question that the uh, the government uh, will will have to answer. I know that the the government can continue to to look at that, and um, yeah, we'll have to have to see which direction uh, which direction the government chooses to go in that. So, what else do you think could be done to speed up Cambodia's tourism recovery? I mean, so you've talked about definitely this need to uh, you know diversify the product offerings and and promote the fact that that things have been upgraded and have changed. Um, what else do you see could be done? Cambodia has had and has one of the highest vaccination rates in in the region and uh, rolled out a very successful vaccination campaign. Um, and we congratulate the, uh, the, the government on, on achieving that. And we also congratulate the government on being one of the first countries to, to open up and to reopening the borders and, and inviting tourists back. And I think at the same time, during, during COVID, as I, as I mentioned, the, this investment in, in infrastructure, particularly in Sian Reap and Sianoukville, uh, that the government continued to continue to do that, and that's really able to to sort of reap its uh, results now. The Ministry of Tourism are, are doing a great job talking about uh, Cambodia all around the world, um, and we try and uh, do do the same using all of our our sort of extensive extensive network. It's one of the advantages of being part of the the Vinci Airports Group. We have. 50 airport or over 50 airports are all around the world so it means we know most airlines we know uh, in many countries we're we're very well established so a couple a few weeks ago we hosted a sort of seminar with uh, key french tourist uh, tour operators with a focus on uh, cambodia and we were able to sort of give them first hand information about what's happening here about what it's uh, what what the product offer is i think when we look at that product offer uh, it's it really it really is evolving. I think the days of just coming to Cambodia to bounce into Sian Reap, go and see the temples for a, for a day or two, and then uh, then move on to somewhere else in in Southeast Asia is uh, well, it would be a real waste for anybody that 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 did that. All around uh, Cambodia, there's there's just uh, ecotourism is really is really booming. There's some great countryside there's some great nature out there and many companies are investing in in creating some some really good ecotourism products uh, and at every range of budget as well so there's there's a wide offering there and, and i think we need to need to make sure that people people know all about it you can you can really come and see the temples you can get the bustle of a, a thriving southeast asian uh, capital city with an amazing food scene down in uh, in phnom penh then really go out into the jungle or onto the rivers, sort of elsewhere around Cambodia, and then then get that that beach break of the sort of idyllic uh, desert island uh, down on on the islands off the south coast. So there really is an opportunity to spend comfortably a a, a couple of weeks uh, travelling around. And I think our job is to uh, to continue to to tell passengers and and airlines that there's all these uh, all these options here. And right now, it's not too busy, so it's a uh, it's a great time to great time to come. You mentioned Stephen that you the time of your arrival and coming from Gatwick, where you'd seen the recovery in European uh, air traffic starting, and there were some lessons to be learned there. When you look back across the first six months of this year of your tenure here in Cambodia, what what have been some of the lessons you've learned here, and what are some of the learnings that you're seeing from around the world right now? I think especially as we as many countries went through that sort of reopening phase, so quarantine being eased and then uh, into a into a sort of testing mode uh, our colleagues in the airports uh, worked really closely with all the government agencies to try and make the passenger journey as they arrive as as smooth as possible 
And I think um, everyone working together has delivered some some really good results, meaning that it wasn't at least uh, even if there were tests to be done and ma- multiple pieces of paperwork to be to be checked, it, uh, the process was uh, was relatively seamless, making making people people comfortable there. I think what we're seeing now in airports around the world, particularly in in Europe, in Australia, and uh, in the US, is a, a question of of resource and and manpower, uh, and are there enough people uh, to service? So it's something that we're paying a lot of attention to, uh, and making sure that we're we're forecasting when when travel is going to come back, and uh, making sure that we've got the resources there to ensure that passengers get a, a smooth smooth journey as they as they come through. Uh, I must admit, the last twice I've come in through Phnom Penh, I live about half an hour away in the centre of town, and um, I've been from runway to home in a, in an hour each time, and that's including sort of a half an hour taxi journey. So, I think we're we're being successful in that at the moment, but um, not taking anything for granted and and keeping a close eye on as volumes move and uh, more and more flights come back and more and more passengers come back, ensuring that we're able to to meet that demand. Wow, an, an hour, that is that is pretty impressive. You definitely wouldn't get that in uh, Kuala Lumpur. So one one last question that I, I would love to ask you is around sustainability. And, you know, Singapore Changi Airport at the moment seems to be kind of leading that charge in, in the Southeast Asian region for sustainable aviation initiatives. Is that something that's starting to come into focus for Cambodia airports in the short or medium term? Because we are uh, part of Vinci Airports, it's uh, sustainability and and the environment is a is a really important part of our our focus as Vinci airports all across the world. We have a number of initiatives sort of globally, and what's great is that we're able to to take lessons uh, from what's happened elsewhere, and also often be be ahead by applying applying these uh, these things locally. I think one element is just looking at ourselves, looking at our perimeter, and saying what can we do to reduce reduce the impact so we have we have streams around waste management and ensuring that that none of our waste goes to to landfill that's our objective by 2030 across all of our airports so including cambodia not using pesticides and uh trying to encourage biodiversity on those those sort of areas of green that we have within our within our airport footprint but also looking at energy consumption so changed all of our all of our runway lights and, and taxiway lights are all leds because they consume a, a lot less uh, we look at wherever we can at different ways that we can ensure that we're consuming renewable energy and that's uh, we're looking at um just sort of all across our our sector but then also looking at how we can facilitate that longer term change that that aviation is going to need to go to so sustainable aviation fuels or in the in the sort of medium term but hydrogen in the uh, in the longer term hydrogen air- aircraft and how how can we make sure that our airports are ready for this technology when it when it comes in so that's more of a medium term view but very much one that's uh, that's on our radar and on on our agenda for for us as a sort of whole whole business uh, across across the world but but also looking at how we how we apply that here here locally to make sure that we're we're as sustainable and able to to really confidently be be sure that we've got a we're doing the very best that we can for for the environment uh, whilst operating the airport. So just to wrap up, Stephen, I asked you a couple of seconds ago, looking back about the last six months and what you've learned, uh, we're now entering into this, the second half of 2022. What are your sort of objectives for the rest of the year? Is optimism in the air? Do you think that you will see a stronger recovery over the next six months? 
I think we're going to see some sort of differences across those different different airports, but um, I think we're going to have a steady, continued recovery in uh, Phnom Penh as we get more and more flights, more and more uh, destinations. I think we've already got 29 airlines operating. Um, I'm expecting more more to come back and more frequencies to be added. I think we'll have a good high season in uh, in Sianrep, and we'll get more and more diverse routes coming into uh, into Sianrepville at some point whether it's this year or early next year, I think we'll see whether and how China China reopens. And then obviously we're, uh, we're preparing ourselves to, to, to ensure that we can welcome, welcome all those passengers as, as they, they choose to come back and uh, choose to come and, come and experience Cambodia. Fantastic. So it's nice to end the podcast episode on a bit of optimism for once. Sometimes Gary and I can be a little bit gloomy, but it's, it's good to hear. Always, always happy to hear from a country that is doing well. <laughs> so that brings us to a close of our special Cambodia Aviation and Airports edition. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and don't forget to send us your thoughts and comments on anything we discussed with Stephen or anything we missed out. You can drop us a message on our LinkedIn page at the Southeast Asia Travel Show. Yeah, meanwhile, you can catch up with the Southeast Asia Travel Show's full back catalogue on our website, the seasiatravelshow.com. And as always, you can listen to every single episode, including this one, on all the various international podcast platforms. Just search for the Southeast Asia Travel Show on each app. And please remember that if you tune in via Spotify or Apple Podcasts, if you could give us a quick rating and a review, that will help other people to find the show. So that's a wrap for today. And we'll both return next week to talk more travel and tourism in Southeast Asia. We look forward to speaking to you then. Bye.